All right. Who's ready for a twin story? It's been a hot minute since we've done twins, and I love interviewing twin moms. This story was very special to my heart because she also had a heart condition, and I developed a heart condition in my own pregnancy. And so I love kind of tackling cardiac conditions in pregnancy. And she achieved, well, I'm not even going to tell you. Let's just say she achieved her dream birth with twins. All right. Are you ready? Let's get into it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. So like, let's say you're pregnant. That's why you're listening to the birth story podcast and you're preparing for a hospital birth that's upcoming. And of course, this podcast gives you tons of free information, right? But like, do you really understand the stages of labor? How to know when you're in labor? What if you have to have an induction? What about a cesarean section? What about all of the decisions that you have to make once you get to the hospital? So you get there and then they put you in triage. Birth Story Academy walks you through all the things that happen, like that rapid fire with like monitoring and blood work and questions and IV ports and do you want an epidural? I don't know. Do you? In Birth Story Academy, we literally break down all of those decisions pros, cons, risks, benefits, intuition. And like we get into it. We make birth plans. We do birth visions. We listen to birth affirmations and parenting affirmations. And like at the end of it, like you know exactly what's going to happen when you go into labor and when you get to the hospital. What's going to happen after you give birth? Newborn care preferences. How to take care of your baby. I guess what I'm getting at is... If you're not in Birth Story Academy, what's your plan? I want you to come join me in Birth Story Academy and let me walk you through all of the decisions that you have to make if you're having a hospital birth and how to have body autonomy and how to have informed consent and informed refusal. I'm going to teach you and your partner, if you have one, everything that you need to know about birthing in a hospital so that you can walk in that door with some swagger, with some confidence, wash that anxiety away. Because you learned everything you needed to learn in Birth Story Academy, and you are ready to crush that birth. Okay, let's do it. And let's get to this episode. Hey, Laura, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. How are you today? 
I'm good. I'm so excited to be here. I know we've been planning this for a very long time. And in the intro, you guys, I alluded to the fact that we're going to be talking about heart conditions and twin births and triple feeding. So we have so much to learn from you today. Where are you coming to us from? Where are you recording? So I'm originally from the Chicago area, but I've been living in Grand Rapids, Michigan for the last like 10 years. Beautiful. What's your favorite part about Michigan? Oh my gosh. I love like the landscape. Like the lake is right there. There's just so much to do outdoors and yeah. Yeah. I have had a couple of clients that were from the Grand Rapids area and then one that um, was from Mackinac Island. And I didn't know you could be from Mackinac. I thought that was just a place people vacationed to. (laughs) So, but apparently you can be from there too. So, well, tell me about finding out that you were pregnant with twins. Like, was this a fertility journey? Like, what did that whole thing look like for you? So my husband and I got married in 2020. So we had a COVID wedding um, and we decided to wait a year to try to get pregnant because we were going to do our reception a year later when things were a little bit more open because we didn't have a reception for our original wedding. Um, So we started trying right after that reception and uh, we got pregnant that first month. So it was a surprise. Ah, okay. And when you say like trying, did you even track your cycle or were you just like, we're going to just like not use protection and see what happens? Yeah. So I've been tracking, I've been off birth control for a year and have been tracking my cycle um, on an app with like my temperature and everything. So I've been tracking for a year. Okay. So so. you knew when you were ovulating, it wasn't like, woohoo, we had sex tonight kind of thing. It was intentional. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Well, that helps in getting pregnant the first time often, right? So um, when I first talked to my OBGYN about family planning before I ever knew I was going to have a fertility journey, he said the number one reason that people don't get pregnant is because they're not having sex enough and at the right time. And I was like, the right time, you know? I was like, oh yeah, that ovulation thing. (laughs) Important. Yeah, we called it sex month. So yes. Oh my gosh. See, it's so good. And you know, I we honor that some of you listening to this podcast are had a long fertility journey, kind of like I did. And then others we get pregnant accidentally. And then sometimes we get pregnant planned right away. So Laura, one of the things we chatted about you guys before we started recording was we said everyone has a hard, right? And Mm -hmm. some people's hard is their fertility journey. And then some people's hard is finding out they're carrying twins and that they have to triple feed Mm -hmm. after getting pregnant right away. So, Mm -hmm. all right. So you find out you're pregnant, but how did you find out it was twins? Like, when did that go down? So, okay. I didn't know that you don't go in for an ultrasound until you're like 12 weeks. That's so long. (laughs) Um. But I had like a phone appointment at like eight or nine weeks. I don't know if that was a COVID thing or if that's pretty normal that like your first appointment is over the phone. I would Um, say that's a COVID thing, right? Most (laughs) people go for a confirmation appointment in person between six to 12 weeks. I mean, my first confirmation appointment with ultrasound was at six weeks. So, I mean, I would say a lot of things have changed with COVID. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So my first appointment was just over the phone, just kind of going over history and everything. So yeah, that was like right around eight or nine weeks. 
And I told them I had this heart condition that I was born with. It's called Wolf Parkinson's White Syndrome. Uh, I have an extra electrical pathway in my heart. And when I told them that, they're like, oh, you know, we're going to be referring you to uh, MFM, the turtle fetal medicine, just to get you checked out. It's probably all fine, but um, we're going to refer you there. And so in order to do this referral, uh, you should come in for a dating ultrasound. So like, how about you come in tomorrow? I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, it's like five weeks early, you know, earlier than I thought for this ultrasound. So we go in the next day for the ultrasound. My husband met me there and we walk in, we sit down. The first thing my husband says is we're shooting for twins. And I like, just like reached over and like you know, slapped his leg. And I was like, don't put that into the universe. Like the universe is going to hear you. And so the universe um, had already she, spoken, but <laughs> I know. Um, so he started with uh, an external ultrasound and I was so nervous for this ultrasound. I mean, like, you know, the little stick tells you you're pregnant, but like, I don't know. I needed to like see a baby to yeah. like believe it. So I was so nervous. So I did this external ultrasound and they couldn't, she's like, well, we're having trouble, you know, getting a good picture. So we're going to do an internal one instead. So I do an internal one and um, my husband noticed it first. Um, but yeah, they do internal ultrasound and the baby pops up and it's moving around. So limbs are moving and I'm like, oh my gosh, like there's a baby in there and it's moving already. And then my husband said that they like moved the wand for the internal ultrasound like somewhere else. And he's like, I know from video games, if you move the controller, you see something different. And so he like saw them move it and saw another baby. And I thought I was looking at the same baby. Like I was just in shock that like I was pregnant. There was a baby in there and it was moving. But yeah, they moved the this wand and he saw another baby and he goes, are there two in there? And the ultrasound tech goes, well... And then I say, what the? And I, yeah. Like, <laughs> um, and I just kept saying the F word the whole rest of the <laughs> ultrasound. And my husband was just speechless. So yeah, there were two babies in there. They're die-die twins. So they have separate, separate sacs, separate placentas. Um, and yeah. with die-die, does that mean they're fraternal? Um, there's a small chance they could be identical, but they're most likely fraternal. Okay. I figured with separate sacks and separate mm-hmm. placentas. It's actually surprising to me that they, they could potentially be identical. But so yours are fraternal? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Now, yeah. you said this was around eight or nine weeks. So what did the dating mm-hmm. ultrasound put you at? Like eight, it was eight or nine weeks. Okay. Same. I didn't know if you were like eight weeks, two days, like if you knew exactly. Oh, no. No. <laughs> okay. It's the things that we remember about pregnancy, like, you know, something's sticking, you know. So it was around eight yeah. or nine weeks. Um, mm-hmm. It is amazing how much you can see early on. Um, yes. You know, it's when I went in for my first ultrasound at six weeks. And I still have a picture of my little, his name's Max, but my little Max at the time. And he looked like a little like fish guppy, like swimming yeah. around in there, like with a heartbeat. And I was like, oh my God, it's like a real, yeah. it's a real thing in there, you know, it's crazy. And then at eight or nine weeks, yeah, their limbs are showing more and they're moving around. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, this is wild. So mm-hmm. I just can't imagine this moment, right? Like I've interviewed lots of twin moms, but I'm like, I just, like you said, you're saying the F word and then (laughs) 
then what do you do? Do you just leave and just say like, oh my God, what are we going to do? I'm sure you had so many questions. So how did the next couple of weeks go? So actually my, I mean, we were so excited, but my, like my first two thoughts was I actually had to mourn, like not being a family of three and like not having just one baby to love on. Like I had to wrap my head around, like, I'm never going to have that experience of like, just one baby in a family of three. So I had to mourn that a little bit. Um, and then my like other thought right away was I'm risking out of midwifery care. Like that's it. So I had already found like a midwife group and like was hoping for like unmedicated vaginal birth. And um, I, I figured I, I wasn't quite comfortable with like a home birth or a birth center birth just because I had this heart condition and it's my first pregnancy. And so um, but I wanted to be like as natural as possible. So I was like, oh gosh, there goes my my dream birth. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because in my city, in Charlotte, North Carolina, you would absolutely not risk out of midwifery care with twins. Is it because you mm-hmm. had two risk factors with Wolf Parkinson White and twins? Or is it just the midwives in your area don't um, follow, uh, twin deliveries. Yeah, it's that they, I actually met, met with a midwife right afterwards anyways. And she was like, you know, let me see what I can do. She's like, I feel like we're just still a few years out from that. Um, so the midwife I met with tried to still have me under her care and they ended up saying no. So it's just, Oh, well, a little too far out. Listen, but the, if you're listening to this podcast, you guys ask, advocate, you can call Mm -hmm. out Charlotte, North Carolina. Hey, they're doing this at Novant hospital in Charlotte, North Carolina. Why not here? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. there are some stipulations I will say in my area, like there is an OB that's basically like standing outside the door, like ready to step Mm -hmm. in at any moment. And then when you go to deliver in my area, they do request Nothing is required. I say I am very clear mm-hmm. about this on the podcast. Nothing is required. You can consent to absolutely nothing, but it is recommended that you deliver baby A in the operating room, and mm-hmm. which an OB is also in that presence, but like the midwife mm-hmm. is still doing the delivery. And if all that goes well and baby B's head down, then they move you back to your labor room to deliver baby B out of the operating room. So mm-hmm. shout out Grand Rapids, Michigan. <laughs> time to <laughs> time to get with midwifery care delivering twins. Anyway, but so morning that I get it. I get it. Um I did find um a midwife group that had like some OBs that oversaw like they were part of the midwife group. Yeah. Um and so I ended up seeing an OB through there. So she was very, um, she was a former doula. She was very midwife minded OB. So I definitely did my research in finding an OB that would do some of those more midwife type of things. Okay. So what brought you to wanting to deliver unmedicated and with a midwife? It's not for everybody. So what put that on your heart? Oh my gosh. I've just been obsessed with birth forever. I've listened to birth podcasts for years and years and years. And um, I'm just so fascinated by like the human body, just knowing what to do. And my mom had her babies unmedicated. And um, I don't know, I, I felt like I would be more in control with, of my body 
not having any interventions. So to me, that was more comfortable. Um, and I, and a lot of some of the podcasts I listened to would describe like labor as, you know, pain is your body saying something's wrong. And in labor, like that, that pain isn't anything wrong. It's helpful. It's helping your baby come out. And so I felt confident that that mindset could, could help me do it. Yeah, it's so true. I actually had a birth a couple of days ago and the um, birthing person was sitting on the toilet and she was really fighting it. And the toilet's like usually a great place to labor and Mm -hmm. um, like kind of like the nurse and stuff. Everybody was kind of like pressuring her to be there. And I finally asked her, I said, is it hard to be on the toilet? Like it's hard work or does it feel like a sense of wrongness? And she was like, no, it feels wrong. And I was like, then stand up right now. Then your your baby is not positioned in a way mm-hmm. in which you're ready to be on the toilet. So it is so true what you said, Laura, about like your body just knowing, even in labor, what uh, the sensations mm-hmm. are, what nor- what's normal, what's not normal, and how to move your body out of the things in which there may still be a feeling that something's wrong. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as just moving what you're doing. So mm-hmm. I love that you were called to that. I was, I always say I was called to that too. I'm a doula. And then I got a big old epidural at two centimeters <laughs> dilated. So I am curious to see the rest of your story and how this plays out. Yeah. How did you plan for twins in your pregnancy? So I found as many twin podcasts as I could. What are um, they? What are they? What does everyone need to be listening to? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, the the Birth Hour podcast has some twins. It's ones if you go back in the, the history. Um, your podcast had some twin ones. <laughs> I listened to all those. Um, and then uh, I read the book, uh, When You're Expecting Twins, Triplets or Quads. And that was really helpful in kind of distinguishing how a single pregnancy is different than a multiples pregnancy and the delivery, how the delivery can be different too. Um, There's just a lot of different ways delivery can go with multiples. I mean, there is with a single too, but Mm -hmm. it's just a little bit more complicated maybe. Yeah. I actually follow, there's another podcast that I like and I love mommy labor nurse and she has like twin stories as a nurse where like, the mom did not know she was pregnant with twins (laughs) and that like they're looking for the placenta to deliver. And she's like, um, that feels really not like a placenta, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So, you know, I can't even imagine back in the day, you know, before these ultrasounds and things like that. Mm -hmm. So you had a chance to listen to these podcasts and read a Mm -hmm. book or two. Um, Mm -hmm. I took birth story Academy. Thank you. So I was wondering about that because clearly Birth Story Academy is focused on hospital-based birth, but it's not Mm -hmm. specific to delivering singles or delivering multiples. Like it's Mm -hmm. just pretty generic, I would say, about hospital policies and procedures, the stages of labor. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like it was helpful as a twin mom? I did. I wanted to be really, I knew C-section was such a high possibility. And I also knew um, like baby A could be born vaginally and then B could be a C-section. So, um, so I felt like being really knowledgeable about the OR and things that could happen in the OR. Um, like you said, uh, you know, a lot, I found an OB that 
was very more midwife minded, but she was great in like going over all the options with me. And um, our original plan was to leave or to deliver um, not in the OR. She was okay with letting me deliver in a room um, as long as baby A was head down. Um, Baby B could be either direction. Um, But I still wanted to be prepared for delivering in an OR. So Yeah. yeah, I felt like just knowing all the options of how delivery could go was helpful because there were so many options for how twin delivery could happen. And then my OB was just really great in filling me in on all the different scenarios. It is overwhelming the amount of decisions that we have to make. Mm -hmm. So trying to make some of those before you go into labor is really, is really helpful. Did you take any other birth courses? Uh, Nope. No. Okay. I wasn't sure. Some people take like their hospital tour class or something like that. Yeah, I had a doula. So met with her. And yeah, I was gonna say a lot of education comes (laughs) from the doulas. How did you find your doula? Just looked some up in our area and interviewed a few and found it's it's a pair that worked together. And we just felt like they were our best friends. And (laughs) yeah, I I feel like it's like dating, you just kind of know instantly when it's like, Mm -hmm. both directions, right? Like, Colin and I will hang up and we're like, oh my God, we really want to work with them. Like, I feel like it's such a good fit, you know? And then other times, you know, like you can, I can see it like, but we're not even hanging up on the Zoom and they're like, okay, you're hired. (laughs) So yeah, um, one of my doulas has twins of her own. So that was important too, that there's twin experience in there. Yeah. What a, that's a really good connection to make. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say like, you're not maybe going to find a ton of doulas that have twins, but twin experience. So Mm -hmm. the fact that like this person had both is really very cool. So, um, so how did your pregnancy go with Wolf Parkinson White? And can you describe out, like, I understand what Wolf Parkinson White is, it, it impacts mm-hmm. individuals in my family. And I have an ex-boyfriend who I actually had to like race to the emergency room with while oh he gosh. had an, okay. he had an ablation done. It was a, mm-hmm. a workout one day and his heart rate just didn't come down. That mm-hmm. extra pathway mm-hmm. was activated. He was having prolonged tachycardia and they just literally went in and zapped it. But can you talk to the audience about Wolf Parkinson White and like cardiac conditions and what it's like to like have a cardiac condition when becoming pregnant? Yeah. So I actually um, had an ablation done also, but it didn't work. They couldn't zap it. And so I still have the condition, but they did test that extra electrical pathway and it does fine. Um, So I just live with this condition and it doesn't really affect anything. It just is what it is. Um, But being pregnant, you have so much more blood flow throughout your body, especially with multiples. Um, And so my heart condition was definitely like, like my palpitations happen so much more throughout pregnancy. Um, So they did have me put on a heart monitor, um, like a 48 hour heart monitor um, just to track to make sure the palpitations were normal. Um, and then I knew that during labor, I'd be hooked up to a heart monitor. Um, and what I found interesting is that other areas in the hospital have wireless heart monitors, but yeah. not the delivery floor. And I was so glad I asked ahead of time because it, I didn't, I mean, it wasn't the answer I wanted and there was really no advocating. It is what it is, but I knew going in like, 
okay, I'm going to be hooked up to a monitor. There's going to be why, like I, I knew what to expect and that was helpful. So that when, you know, labor, when I was in labor, I wasn't frustrated by this thing that was happening because I knew ahead of time yeah. kind of what to expect. We see that in our area too, the like wired monitors um, for cardiac in labor and delivery. I'm not exactly mm-hmm. sure why. Because if you go over to the cardiac floor, you see everybody with their monitors on. And they're just like walking around having a party. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I know. I'm like, I feel like labor should definitely have wireless ones. Right. But uh, I was already hooked up to um, uh, to monitor the baby's heart rate. So yeah, like, what's yeah, one what's, more? What's more wires? I guess. Yeah. What Laura is talking about, you guys, is that is the crux of it. Your blood flow is significantly increased. And so heart conditions can become exacerbated or they can rise to the surface. One of the things that Laura and I had connected on, on like DMs or whatever, because I was really wanting to highlight cardiac conditions. I think I had like posted like some Instagrams of me wearing my like halter monitor. Mm -hmm. I developed a heart condition in pregnancy probably had it my whole entire life. Mm -hmm. It's just an arrhythmia, which is just my heart has an irregular rhythm. And when I was pregnant and there was like this increased blood flow, I could feel all the time what Laura was talking about, these palpitations. It would feel like my heart would stop and then skip a beat and then Mm -hmm. restart over and over and over again. And I kept thinking, I'm dying. What's going on? You know? And it took a long time to get a diagnosis because then I would get to the ER and the episode would be over. And they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Our rate's fine. So tell me about what that felt like when you said you you just kind of glossed over it like you've had it your whole life, you know, but you're like, <laughs> tell me about what it feels like so that people could understand those palpitations or that rhythm. Like, what are they monitoring you for? I mean, you you described it well. It's like my heart would be beating and then it would stop and then it would like beat really hard again. Sometimes it would just go like, like it just beat really fast. Um, But I had been used, I mean, I've had this my whole life, so I was so used to it. Um, And like I said, my, my OB was just so great at just communicating with me throughout my pregnancy. And so she had said like, this is probably going to get worse and we'll just keep it, you know, keep monitoring it. And um, so yeah, it didn't really, it didn't worry me yeah. throughout pregnancy. Did, do you get runs of tachycardia where your heart rate just goes up and stays up if that extra electrical pathway is activated? Not for longer than like a second or two. Okay. So just quick little runs. Yeah. So mostly premature ventricle contractions or premature atrial contractions. Do you have both? Top of the heart, bottom no of the heart. No, who knows? No okay. idea. <laughs> I know. Listen, Laura, I know more than I should <laughs> know about cardiac conditions. It affects like my mm. entire family, I swear. Um, my brother-in-law has Wolf Parkinson White also. So, um, well, I think it's really important that if you're listening and you're feeling your heart flutter or stop or skip a beat, like I know that feels really scary. And they're in the off chance it could be very serious, but it's most likely a rhythm condition and very easily treated with just rest, breathing, patience. Mm-hmm. It just eventually will go back into rhythm, electrolytes, hydration, mm-hmm. <laughs> all those types of things. So, but they were monitoring you, Laura, to make sure that your heart stayed in mm-hmm. 
in a regular, I will say air quote, regular, irregular rhythm. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. It's funny that I was referred to MFM so that they could monitor my, you know, just monitor my heart and just make sure everything checked out. Okay. <laughs> we found out we we're having twins and they're like, okay, well now you're really going to <laughs> Now you're really going like triple reason. Did you take a, a cardiac uh-huh. medicine, like a calcium channel blocker or beta blocker? No, they had talked about it. If it started to interfere with my life or it was getting like, like worrisome for me. Um, but it never got to the point where uh, it was interfering with anything. So to me, the risks of taking the medicine was, you know, yeah. Okay. Beautiful. So here you are, you're pregnant with twins. MFM is like clearing Mm -hmm. you from a cardiac perspective. Yeah. Right. And now we're Mm -hmm. just focused on like the twin thing. I love that you found an OB that was like, as long as baby A is head down. Right. Like, um, I could go on a million tangents on like, why can't we just deliver (laughs) babies breach? But whatever, listen to my episode on breach without Mm -hmm. borders. Um, (laughs) Was that a stressful thing for you or were you just like, whatever happens, happens? Or were you like really wanting baby A to be head down? Well, so at around 28 weeks, baby B started measuring much bigger than baby A. Baby A was never measuring small, like what they would say is small. Like, oh my gosh, baby B just like took off. I mean, was like 80th, 90th percentile all the time. Um, And A would always stick around more like... 50 or 40. And that gap just kept growing. So it was definitely something that they're keeping an eye on. Um, and actually that difference in size ended up changing our birth plan. So I OB originally said baby A just had to be head down. But towards the end, when baby B was just so much bigger, um, she said that baby B actually had to be head down too, because baby A would not pave the way for baby B to come out anymore. And um, with baby B being so big, there's just a bigger risk of baby B getting stuck or of a, more of a, a the cord prolapse risk was higher. There are just more risks with baby B being bigger. Now, if A was bigger, that wouldn't have mattered. But since A was lower and B was up higher, um, yeah, that changed our birth plan. I also had the birth in an OR. They had changed that too. Okay. Um, so it's kind of hard just having my birth plan kind of be changed, thrown around. Um, we did schedule a C-section date. Um, I was due May 6th. Um, I wasn't going to go till May though. <laughs> um, we scheduled a C-section for April 22nd because of the size difference. Um, and then also, uh, at my 33 week appointment, they were both transverse. So then at that point, they're like, okay, well, we're definitely going to schedule a C-section just in case. So I was just, plan- I mean, we, we talked a lot about like, well, do you want A to come out vaginally and then B be a C-section? Like, cause that's a very real possibility that's going to happen. And then if B is a C-section, if it's an emergency, we might have to put you out and put you under. And so like, maybe we'll just do a C-section then. So I know I'm awake and it's not an emergency. And so that was really hard trying to way what did I want for my birth and what was I was I going to make a risky choice then because it would not have been as risky to just be like let's do a c-section um but I just really wanted a vaginal birth and so then we actually did decide to do an epidural up to plan for an epidural because if B was going to be a c-section and we had an epidural at least placed even if it wasn't like turned on they could 
maybe turn it on quick and then do B as a C-section with my epidural on. There were just so many. It was was a lot because there were just so many different ways that the birth could go. Um, But it was helpful being informed of all the different ways it could go. Like I felt better going into it, just knowing these are all different options. But yeah, it was hard to to make choices. Yeah, I have never had an anesthesiologist offer to place an epidural and not turn it on. And so I just Mm -hmm. learned something from you, Laura. (laughs) And I think that's a really great suggestion. A lot at, I'm not a lot. I had three twin births last year. Okay. So it's not like I do like a ton of twin births, Mm -hmm. but uh, you know, two to four a year I support. And yeah, that's never come up. It's usually, do we schedule the C-section or Mm -hmm. do we go for the unmedicated knowing that there's a possibility we might be Mm -hmm. put to sleep because there's Mm -hmm. no epidural in place? Or do we just have an epidural, which increases our chances of having a C-section. Um, it's mm-hmm. really hard to make that decision. Mm-hmm. I think I can't wait to hear what you actually did, but what a cool <laughs> plan to like place an epidural and not use mm-hmm. it. I think that that's kind of brilliant. I'm going to run with that. It's the next <laughs> twin delivery I have. Um, you mentioned transverse at 33 weeks. I just want the audience yeah. to know that means sideways, you guys. So neither yes. had um, like bunk beds. Yes, exactly. So they <laughs> were their heads uh, uh both together or were they their heads yes. opposite? Their heads were together. Yes. Baby B was always trying to get as close to baby A the entire pregnancy. Or baby A was well squished in the corner. And we didn't find out the sexes. I was time, wondering because so. you just kept saying A and B. So I was like, yes. ooh, it must have been a surprise with the sexes. Now, because you know, you can have a discrepancy between A and B just based on sex, right? Like males just tend to be bigger than females in utero mm-hmm. and at birth. Um, so did they ever find like a medical or clinical reason for the discrepancy? No, it was not like twin to twin transfusion because they didn't share a placenta mm-hmm. they had separate placentas so um no they just said like they're just siblings like fraternal twins are literally just siblings born at the same time there's no other difference yeah. <laughs> um so they're like you know not all babies are born like all siblings are born the same size and um so it could just be two different babies just doing their own thing um my body could have just been feeding one more than the other for whatever reason yeah. um yeah, but I didn't know for sure. But it wasn't, they said it would only be an issue if A was getting to be too small. And A was never too small. B was just massive. Massive. Okay, so no small for <laughs> gestational age or intrauterine no. growth restriction. What about some of the other scary no. things that we hear about with HELP syndrome or preeclampsia or gestational hypertension, gestational diabetes? These are all things that you're in an increased risk of developing yeah. with multiples. Did you have any of those occur? My blood pressure was always borderline. I'd go in and it'd be high and then they'd take it again and it was normal. And the next time it'd be, it was just back and forth between high and normal. So they just monitored it really closely. I had to take my blood pressure at home and keep track of it and send it into my OB's office. So just something they monitor. I got tested for preeclampsia a lot, um, but never, never got to that point. Okay. So you've kind of walked us through like these ultrasounds right and Mm -hmm. like their positioning and like 
mm-hmm. all these decisions that your provider is asking yeah. you to make. And honestly, I'm so glad now that you were taking Birth Story Academy because I at least know I'm walking you through like vaginal exams and IV ports and what all the mm-hmm. different monitoring and tests are and pros and cons and risks and benefits and all that. Did you have a time period where you were like, hello, doctor, this is my birth plan. And like, I know we have a cesarean scheduled and a cesarean plan, but Mm -hmm. did you have a plan for an induction or a spontaneous labor? Yeah. I mean, I think I just, I communicated my plan from the very beginning with her. Okay. So everyone was on the same page. Like you're, you were hopefully going to go into spontaneous labor and both babies at this point needed to be head down because of the size discrepancy. When did you find out that they were both head down? So 33 week appointment, they're transverse. At this point, I had at this point in my pregnancy, I had appointments every week. So 33, they're transverse. 34, four week, um, I had my GBS test. And uh, when she went to do that test, she's like, can I check you while I'm doing this? I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Gave her permission. And she, during her check, she's like, oh, I feel ahead. I'm like, oh my gosh, someone's head down. <laughs> like, A must be head down. Um, so she checked, I was two centimeters, 60% effaced at 34 weeks. Wow. So they went ahead and gave me the steroid shot that day. They're like, this could be nothing. It could be like this for a while, or this could mean like, you know, they're coming soon and you're 34 weeks. So they gave me that steroid shot. Um, and then she did like a quick ultrasound. She was, she was like grabbed a midwife and was like, get an ultrasound in here. And she checked and they were both head down. It's like, Oh my gosh, yes. thank you. So then the following week at 35 weeks, um, I had an appointment on a Friday. It was I'm a teacher. It's the first day of my spring break. I told my babies, you guys need to stay in there for my spring break because I want to do laundry. I need to do this and this and this. I had no plans my spring break, but like get my house ready for them to come. Um, so you can maybe see where this is going. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I go to my appointment at 35 weeks. They do an ultrasound. And you talked about like remembering dates, you know, like the gestational dates in your uh, memory. I remember this one. They're doing the ultrasound and they did baby A's abdomen reading. And I saw on the screen, like, you know, gestational age for this reading, 28 weeks. And I was like, oh, like I'm 35 weeks and her abdomen's reading 28 weeks. Like they're not going to like that. I was at the MFM for this ultrasound. And like, they're not going to like that. I just remember thinking that I saw that date like stuck out in my mind. So we met with a doctor afterwards and he was like, yeah, so baby A has not grown. So I, I was having appointments every week, but ultrasounds every other week. So he was like, baby A hasn't grown from 33 to 35 weeks. And actually baby A's abdomen shrunk, like her the measurement shrunk. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's like, I think it's time to to talk about getting getting them out. He's like, at this point, I don't think waiting two more weeks to check another ultrasound is going to be helpful. You're already 35 weeks. You know, I think baby A is going to do better outside the womb than like keeping baby A in. And baby B was like still like 90th percentile. Doing doing great great in there. Wouldn't it be great if you could just take one out? (laughs) Let the other one finish cooking. (laughs) I think I might have asked that. You know, it's not an emergency, but, you know, let's talk about getting them out. So I'm like, okay, like maybe we'll come back Monday for an induction. And he's like, how about like 8 p.m. tonight? Like tonight? (laughs) He said it wasn't an emergency. He's like, well, you don't have to go to the ER right now. You can you can go home first for a little while. It's like 1 p.m. when I had my appointment. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was so hard to hear. I was not ready. 
for them to be born. I don't know why I thought as a twin mom, they'd be in there till, you know, 38 weeks, but I was, was going to say I, 35 I wanted... is so good, Laura. That's so yeah. good. Yeah. And they were both measuring good weights and, and that's why he's like, we should do this induction now. They both are head down. They both look great. No one's in distress. Baby is just showing some signs of maybe starting to not grow, but everything else looked great. So he's like, I think this is, I think it's time. So yeah, we went home, got some dinner, packed as best we could, and then headed back to the hospital at 8 p.m. to start an induction. Now, when she did her her um, vaginal exam, she felt the head. Mm-hmm. What were you having any symptoms? Like, were you having Braxton mm-hmm. Hicks? Did you was were you oh, waddling? I Hicks. I had Braxton Hicks from like, I don't even know, 20 weeks on, 28 weeks on. I was having them like my whole pregnancy. I was going to say, if the head's right there, then that means (laughs) like very low. I can imagine like it would have been hard to walk. (laughs) I don't think it was hard to walk anyway. (laughs) I didn't know any different. This was my first pregnancy. So Mm-hmm. And nothing to compare it to, but I don't know. I, I loved being pregnant. That was another thing. I was like mourning, not being pregnant anymore because I loved it so much. Oh. And I know that's not everyone's story. I feel very lucky that it was pregnancy was pretty easy for me. Yeah. I feel like it's like 50% of everyone's story. Like half of everyone hates being pregnant. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then the other half are like, it's the most beautiful I ever felt, you know, yes. it's like yes. so lovely. <laughs> um, before we go on to the birth, I just wanted to clarify for the audience at ultrasounds every other week are because it's really hard from a science or data perspective mm-hmm. to compare ultrasounds shorter than 14 days apart. So mm-hmm. like the data just wouldn't really be accurate. So that's like a sign. They can do an ultrasound sooner, but like if we're measuring abdominal circumference, which yeah. is that what you were talking about, the AC, then it's really recommended every two weeks to do those ultrasounds. Yeah. They said that the, that like their growth is not like a, like a line, you know, like a straight line. It's mm-hmm. like no growth, no growth, 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 like growth, no growth. You know, it's yeah. just not. Yeah. I didn't know that. It looks more like a heartbeat than linear, yeah, <laughs> you yes. know, type of mm-hmm. thing. So, um, all right. So you're 35 weeks, which I think is amazing, but mm-hmm. it's your spring break. And, um, <laughs> you know, if you're 60% effaced and two centimeters dilated, your cervix was pretty ripe and your bishop score, which they would have given you would have been pretty high. And so mm-hmm. um, the Bishop score is what the medical providers will use to kind of determine, well, it's one of the things they use to determine what type of induction to do. Cervical mm-hmm. ripening with a balloon, prostaglandins like Cytotec or Cervidil, Pitocin, mm-hmm. breaking water. Did you have the opportunity to have a discussion about these things or were they like, this is how we're going to do your induction. They told me how they were going to do the induction. And I called my OB and just kind of ran everything by her. And she was like, yep, that's what I would do. Sounds good. And um, yeah, because OB and MFM kind of were working together. But I always, I trusted my OB so much. And so I always checked in with her. So give it, having her give me the okay, like made it okay for me. Okay. So you get there that mm-hmm. night. And what did they choose to start with? 
So they started with Servadil. Okay. So they got that. They all got their eight. Got that all set up. Um, when she when they put the Servadil in, Servadil in, I was uh, three centimeters and seventy percent effaced and a negative two station when they put the Servadil in. Um, and I was around ten p.m. by the time they got it in. So you had already made progress. Yes. <laughs> yeah. From the from the week before. Yeah. yeah you had moved from two progress. centimeters dilated, 60 percent effaced mm-hmm. to three centimeters dilated, 70 percent effaced. Yeah. Yes. In a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they put that in at 10. They got the my heart rate monitor set up. They got the two baby heart rate monitors, you know, they're to monitor their heart rates set up. Um, and then they're like, all right, get some sleep. We'll see you at my, our plan was that they'd come back around seven, um, take the cervical out. My OB was clear. I could eat a big breakfast then. And then they would start Pitocin after that. So that was our plan. Um, (laughs) so yeah, so they leave. Um, my husband puts on the Hobbit, (laughs) which is great music. So it's a nice relaxing movie to watch and then tried to sleep. Uh, my husband passed out immediately. Um, yeah, tried to sleep, but the nurse came in about every 30 minutes to redo the mon- monitors for the heart rates. Um, the two babies had very similar heart rates my whole pregnancy. And so they kept coming in being like, we're, we're picking up the same heart rate. And so she'd, she's like, don't wake up, don't wake up, but like move over and move your belly this way. And, but like, go back to sleep. <laughs> I'm like, I can't sleep if you're like <laughs> moving these monitors around. So from 10 to 3, it was about every 30 minutes I came in to move those monitors around to try to pick up two separate heart rates. So tried to sleep here and there, but it was hard. Um, and then at 3, the nurse came back in and she, you know, like woke me up. She's like, so you're it's showing your contractions are happening every one to two minutes. Like, are you feeling them? And at that point, ever since I put the cervical in, I was feeling some cramping and maybe some warmth, but I could definitely sleep through it. And I don't know, to me, they weren't coming in patterns or waves. Like I couldn't tell. So I was told her like, I know, you know, I, I told her that. And she's like, well, you know, we called your OB and like, you know, we want these contractions to slow down. Like this is way too, these contractions are happening too fast, which I'm still a little confused on why that was a problem that they were happening so close together, but they wanted to slow them down. So she gave me, uh, I had already an IV port place. So she put some, gave me some fluids and hoped, you know, that that would help, uh, calm, calm them down. So I'm going to answer that um, question for you. Your oh, yeah. uterus is a yeah, muscle. Please do. Okay. And when you're in active labor, your contractions are ideally two to three minutes apart, lasting 60 to 90 seconds. When they're mm-hmm. one to two minutes apart, it's what we call hyper contracting. So your, your uterus, which is a muscle, is not getting a break, right? Which mm-hmm. has a lot to do with blood flow to the muscle, okay. right? Like contracting and relaxing and contracting and relaxing and stabilizing blood flow. Now, if she was concerned, it's probably because they saw something with baby A or baby B's heart rate, right? Like just something. Um, So hydrating a uterus, right? Essentially Mm -hmm. like your uterus can hyper contract when you're dehydrated. So adding fluids is something that could help that to try to space them out to two to three minutes apart. 
The most important thing that I can share, though, is that when we put monitors on the outside of the belly, there's no possible way to know how strong the contractions are. So mm-hmm. the only way you can measure the strength of a contraction is through an IUPC, an intrauterine pressure catheter. And it's a small tube that slides up through the vagina, through the cervix, and then next to the baby's head. And then it actually measures the pressure of the squeeze. So we it's so okay. funny because we have partners that are looking at the screen and they'll be like, oh, that's a big one. And we're like, well... We don't really know that, you know, mm-hmm. it just, they can look different on the monitor. So it may have okay. looked like you were having very strong contractions of too close together and that your uterus wasn't getting that opportunity to take a break. So mm-hmm. I don't know. So they oh. came in. Well, thank you. For yeah, saying you're that. welcome. I, I mean, that. I wasn't there, but that's probably the way I would have explained it to you if yeah. I was your doula. No. Um, which by the way, your doula is not with you at this point, right? No, she's not. Yeah, yeah. No, we okay. texted her and she's like, I'll come back, you know, I'll come in once labor starts. Yeah. You know, okay. Ramping up. So at three o'clock, they gave me the three in the morning, gave me the IV at three 30. They came back and she's like, there's still not, there's still one to two minutes apart. She's like, are you feeling anything? And again, I was like some warmth and cramps, but they were not painful at all. I could yeah. sleep through them, talk through them. She's like, well, you know, we called your OB and they want to take the cervical out. So they took the cervical out. Um, they checked me. I was four centimeters, 80% of face, negative one station at 3.30. Wow. They took the out. Wow. So after they took it out, it started to become more uncomfortable. Pretty soon after that, I started, the, the cramping just got a little more intense. They, they were happening every one to two minutes. I could definitely start to feel it then. I had very, there was not much break in between. Um, I definitely couldn't sleep through them anymore. And I noticed I was having to try to breathe through them. At this point, my husband was awake. Um, I had to use the bathroom a lot, They which was such a pain because I had to unhook the heart monitor, unhook the monitors from my belly, like follow me with like the you know, whatever the things and hold all the wires so I could pee. It was like an ordeal. And I had to go like all the time, like felt like I had to pee like constantly. Yeah. Um, I guess it was like distracting. Um, so let's see, I tried the birthing ball, but I did not like sitting. I felt a lot of like pressure and warmth in my hips. And so any sitting felt really uncomfortable. So I'd not like the birthing ball. So at 4.40, I texted my doula and I told her like, hey, it's becoming more uncomfortable. I'm having a harder time breathing. Uh, I'm having a contraction right now and I'm texting you. So it's not, you know, I, I knew in my mind if I could talk or, you know, text during them, it was not like super active labor yet, but just let her, let her know like things were starting to get uncomfortable. At that point, I got on my hands and knees and that felt really good. I liked having my hips up and like not on anything. So I was on my hands and knees and swaying around. And then at 5am, I gave my phone to my husband. So like 20 minutes later, I gave my phone to my husband and was like, you have to text a doula. I can't anymore. Like I can't make a thought in my mind um, to text her. And I will say at this point, the nurse was still coming back in every 30 minutes from like 3.30 to 5, moving those monitors around. Like they just could not get to solid heart rates readings um and but wait so then at, at what point oh because yeah. you were a planned epidural <laughs> yeah so I'm like I mean 
listen, I love what you're doing. But if I was like your doula, when they checked you and you were four centimeters and you had this urgency to pee all the time, I probably would have been like epidural (laughs) catheter. So then you don't have to worry about peeing and the pain goes away. So what were you just like, I want to just go as far as I can before getting an epidural? Yeah. I mean, I would have rather not gotten one at all. I was really hoping to be unmedicated. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm having an induction. This could take days. Yeah. It's like this induction started at 10 and it's three in the morning. Like we still got a long ways to go. So I wasn't even thinking like birth was coming soon. (laughs) I am because you were like two, then three, (laughs) two, then three, then four. When you have to remove Cervidil before 12 hours, it's a tampon looking thing that goes up to your cervix for 12 hours. If you have to take Cervidil out before 12 hours, like you're going pretty quick. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay. Yeah, it was. So what happened Um, next? I love that you're intuitively listening to your body, by the way. Remember how we talked? I did. Yeah. We talked earlier in the podcast about like the wrongness of the toilet. Mm -hmm. So your birth, your birth ball was the toilet in that example. It felt like there was a wrongness, but it felt like a a rightness to be on hands and knees. It did. Yeah. So then at 530, um, my OB came in. It was, it was funny. I was like on my hands and knees swaying. I look over and all of a sudden my uh, OB is like sitting in a chair in there. And I'm like, when did you get in? Like, I felt like she just like appeared. Um, but she was just sitting there watching me. And then at 530, uh, they decided to break baby A's water. They asked me uh, my permission and they said, let's break baby A's water because then we can get a heart monitor, an internal heart monitor on A and external on B. And then we'll know for sure we're getting two heart rates. And at that point, I'm like, please stop messing with these monitors. That sounds great. Like, I don't want you to mess with monitors on my belly anymore. So I'm like, great, let's do it. Um, so before she broke baby's water, she checked me. I was, I I just had written down as five centimeters at that point, which is really Um, far along zero to four is the longest part of labor. mm -hmm. So once you get to five, anything can happen. I don't know what, (laughs) where the story's going, but I'm like, anything can happen. So they broke baby's water. And I will say, felt like I was in a hot tub. It was so hot. That water that came like gushing out. I was like, oh my gosh, this feels so good. (laughs) I was expecting it to be that warm. But yeah, I told everyone like, oh, I feel like I'm in a hot tub. And instantly contractions started getting like ramping up, which I knew like in hindsight, like I know when you break a water, that's going to happen. But in the moment, I wasn't thinking that, which I feel like is a good thing because maybe I'm going to tell them no, to not break baby's (laughs) water. Um, But yeah. Contraction started getting intense. So I didn't like hands and knees anymore because I couldn't rest in between them. Like I, I, my arms were getting tired from being in hands and knees. I couldn't really sit back. I didn't want to lay down and have to get up again. Um, so I just felt like I couldn't rest in that position in between the contractions. So I got up and I stood facing my husband um, and I put my arms around his neck and he kind of had his hands like on my waist and I just like hung from him. And that's where I was the rest of my labor. I was just swaying back and forth. And then in between contractions, I could sit on the bed and just rest in between. Um, During the swaying, I remember thinking like low moans, low moans, because I could hear myself getting really high, like a high pitched moan. I could feel myself clenched up and I would just be like, nope, relax, relax, low, relax your face, low moans. And, And that really helped to focus on that during the contractions. Most, all my pain was in my hips. 
like my hips, my very lower back, but mostly my hips. I, I thought pain would be more like in your belly, like where Braxton Hicks are, but yeah, it was my hips where I was feeling it. It's all about the position of both babies and you have two mm-hmm. in there and they're in different positions mm-hmm. and they're yeah. hitting different nerve endings. So yeah, it's yeah. hard to know where you're going to feel a, a contraction because it's all based on fetal positioning. And honestly, it changes every 30 minutes, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> too, as the babies rotate and change positions where you're feeling things will change too. So mm-hmm. I'm still Just over a- here like, where's the epidural? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, quick funny note about laboring while swaying with him. My husband had Pandora playing and we just had like a free version of Pandora playing like piano music. So the commercials would come on and anytime a commercial came out, I was like, who's talking? What is that noise? Turn it off. And my husband would be like, ah, sorry, you like turn it down, turn it down. And I feel like to this day, I'm like PTSD to Pandora commercials because it just took me out of the zone. Oh my gosh. I'm so, so glad if you anyone's mentioned using this. Pandora, pay for the version without commercials during labor. Dude, or Spotify or Amazon Music <laughs> or whatever, right? They all have commercials. Like pay, pay. It's like $10. Well, it's probably more like $17 a month now, but pay for it. That's such a great tip, Laura. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just remember that. I remember being so mad when those commercials came on. So then, let's see, 6.30, my doula arrives. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to feel nauseous at this point. As I'm swaying on my husband, she's like waving peppermint around. I'm like, oh, I'm going to throw up. And so then at that point, we're starting to talk about getting an epidural. <laughs> so I remember I was sitting on the bed. My doula is like fanning me. Or no, my husband's fanning me. My doula is like waving peppermint around. And you know, my OB's like, okay, like maybe, or I, someone mentioned, like, let's talk about maybe this epidural now. And at this point, I'm like, okay, this isn't fun anymore. Like, we we're going to get one anyways. Yeah, let's go ahead and, and get this epidural. Like, I was hitting my point where I'm like, I'm done with this now. Like, sounds this like transition. <laughs> <laughs> so she, at 639, she checks me before we get the epidural. She asked me, she's, and they were so good about asking for every check. So she asked me, 6.39, can we, you know, uh, can I check you before this epidural? I said, sure. She checks me and I'm a 10. Oh, my God. I was like, oh, okay. And not expecting that. (laughs) And newsflash, everyone, when you have a preterm baby who's got a a small, you don't even have to dilate to 10. So the fact that you did dilate to 10 Mm -hmm. is like you're beyond ready to have a baby. Yeah. Well, I definitely was beyond ready because when they checked me, I had to like lay down on the, you know, on the bed to be checked. And as soon as she was done checking me, I like had a contraction at the end of the contraction, I went, oh, and I just felt myself push. And I was like, huh, like I didn't do that. That My whole body just pushed right after contraction. Um, So cool. And that's when the room got really flurry. (laughs) It was like, oh, okay. Like we got to go. That's the um, fetal ejection reflex. It was. I did not do that. After, at the end of that contraction, I didn't do that. But it felt good. Like, it yeah. felt really good. Yeah. So cool. Okay. Now I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I am waiting here with bated breath. I'm like, do you get an epidural? <laughs> do you deliver a baby? What happens? 
So they're like, all right, we got to get to the OR. She's, she's starting to push. And they're like, don't push, don't push. I'm like, I'm not pushing. I'm not trying to. Um, so everyone's like getting in scrubs. And I'm just like laying on my side, like clutching the side. Because um, I did not want to be laying down during contractions. So I'm like, this is the position I want to be in. Um, and I was trying to not like let myself push. Like I wanted to just go with that feeling. But I knew I couldn't yet. So at 647, they roll me down to the OR. Um, as soon as we get there, they tra- you know, I transfer to the OR table. I remember thinking, oh, it's so bright in here. I forgot my sunglasses. Because I remember like hearing on a podcast, someone saying like, you should bring sunglasses to the OR. It's really bright. So I said that out loud and they're like, oh, we'll dim the lights. It's fine. So they dim the lights for oh, me. So amazing. that was really nice. And also I didn't, I, I was prepared for there to be a lot of people in the OR and there wasn't. And, uh, you know, it's 647. So it's almost a shift change at seven. So I don't know if that was why, but it was only my OB and then like two nurses. And then unfortunately my doula could not come to the OR. I knew that ahead of time. We tried advocating like crazy ahead of time and just my OB tried to advocate for it and we just got pushed back. That's um, so dumb because you're not even having uh, a surgery. You're just pushing a baby I, out. I oh, know. I'm so was, angry for again, you and her and your husband. Again, though, it was helpful that I advocated before time, but ahead of time because in the moment I was not caught off guard. I knew what to expect. I knew yeah. this maybe she could come in, but probably not. Um, so it was helpful, you know, it wasn't what I wanted, but I, I had already kind of come to peace with that ahead of time. But what I want, like, let's just say like someone comes across this podcast, right. That like happens to be an obstetrician or a midwife or working for a big hospital system, Mm -hmm. like what they need to hear from you, the birthing person, like share why, what that felt like to be stripped of that opportunity. I just, I didn't understand why. I mean, my, my doula is there to help me birth and I am going to be birthing. The, the room is just different. And so I didn't understand why I couldn't have someone there. I, you know, I didn't want these nurses I don't know to be the ones in there helping me. I wanted like my doula that I build a relationship who could advocate for me for things in the moment that we've talked ahead, about ahead of time because I wasn't going to be able to do that. And um Again, I was so lucky to have an OB that I really trusted. Um, So that was helpful. But yeah, it was frustrating. Yeah, I'm so sorry because every person deserves continuous labor Mm -hmm. support because that's what data shows is the best thing for the person Mm -hmm. giving birth, for the baby, for birth outcomes. And so to rob someone of the opportunity of continuous labor support by not letting a doula go to triage or the operating room or post-anesthesia recovery, like if you're running a business, aka a hospital, like you're not doing it well if you're not Mm -hmm. listening to the client, you know, and Mm -hmm. what their needs are or listening to science and science says continuous labor support. So I'm really sorry to you and your family and to your doula. And hopefully if we just keep speaking Mm -hmm. up, like we'll just keep seeing change, right? Like on my area, I'm always in the operating room in one particular hospital system. Mm -hmm. So guess what? I don't work at the other hospital system. Mm 100% of my clients are required to change if they want me to be their doula. Mm -hmm. So, uh, okay. So back to 647, 
in the OR, no doula. Yes. So I'm on the, they switched me over to the OR table. I could finally like focus on like letting myself push with those urges. Again, I was not making the choice to push, but I could like go with it as it was coming. I think I pushed twice and then I felt the ring of fire and it burned. I remember saying it burns, it burns. My contraction stopped with baby A's head, like kind of coming out, but not all the way out. And I was like, why did it stop now? Like I wanted it to keep going. So I had to just sit there like waiting for my next contraction with the, you know, head sort of out. Um, Do you want to know the answer to that? (laughs) Sure. So, I mean, that our bodies are so smart, right? That is your body. That head was stretching your perineum. Mm -hmm. So maybe you had tearing, but it's at least reduced trauma to your perineum, reduced trauma to your labias, reduced trauma Mm -hmm. to your clitoris and your urethra, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so 99 out of 100 births, the head will be out or crowning and the contraction ends, the uterus has a break, Mm -hmm. right? So again, we know that Bleeding is an important thing to control. So your uterus mm-hmm. taking a break, your perineum stretching. So anyway, mm-hmm. okay, no. keep going. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so my next contraction comes and I remember saying, it's not going to fit. It's not going to fit. Like that's not going to fit. And the nurse is like, it's going to fit. It's going to come out. And then baby A came out. She was born at 708. Okay. So I got wheeled down at 647 and she was born at 708 and it was a girl. I heard my my husband saying it. They're like, daddy, say what it is. And he's like, it's a girl. And I heard him and they're like, say it louder. And he's like, it's a girl. Um, And she just came out red and crying. They put her right up to my chest. She didn't go very far, um, but they put her up to my chest right away and, and rubbed her off. Um, And she was four pounds, 14 ounces. Wow. So baby A was just a little thing. She had a, a wonky foot that was kind of stuck up by her head. When they held when they held her up, her foot was still stuck up there. You know, that's actually a really good size though for was it 35 or 36 weeks? I was 35 weeks one day. 35 and one. I mean, that's not mm-hmm. too small. So No. Yeah. Okay. And um and yeah, so they they took her, you know, took her away after a little while and I just kept checking. Is she okay? Is she okay? And they're like, yep, she's fine. She's doing great. So once I knew baby A was okay, I was like, oh my gosh, I have another one. Like I totally forgot I had another baby in there. So <laughs> it took me a minute to like get my attention back. And then I was like, oh wait, okay. How's what's baby B? Is baby B flipped? Is it still head down? And they're like, baby B still head down. The sack was still intact. They're like, are you feeling contractions? I'm like, no, I had no contractions at all. So we just kind of hung out for a while and waited till the contractions came back. And then my OB was like, why don't you try, you know, baby B still seems really high up there. Why don't you try pushing a little bit to bring B down? And as I like, so I just gave like a few little pushes. And as I did that, my OB was like, oh, I feel like his water is going to break. And like, after she said that, it popped and exploded, like right in her <laughs> face, like went over her shoulder, like right after she said that. Awesome. Um, that so, so cool. The water broke. Yes. <laughs> so then they were like, you still feeling contractions? I'm like, no. And then I like thought about it and I was like, you know what? I am feeling some warmth, like in my back. And they're like, okay, why don't you push when you feel that warmth? So I didn't feel like I had to push, but 
when I started feeling that warmth, I like gave a push and the nurses were like, Oh, good job. Good job. Good job. Keep going. So I'm like, okay. So I like, took a breath and like gave another push and they're like, Oh, good job. Good job. Keep going. Keep going. I'm like, okay. So I like took another breath and gave another push and he shot out. Oh my one. goodness. On the third <laughs> push. Wow. No action <laughs> to help me. No ring of fire. He just like shot out. I'm glad I was on the table because I'm pretty sure he just shot out on the table. And that was at 736. Oh, wow. So okay. So about 28. 30, yeah, 28 minutes apart. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Wow. It was a boy. Oh, my gosh. Um, How and he exciting. was seven pounds. Okay. I could have guessed that. That's what I was kind <laughs> of getting at earlier. You know what I mean? When I was like, talking and you were talking about siblings yes. and I was like boys are bigger than girls like um, yes. once I knew a was the girl I was like he's a boy I know it like yeah. I, I just knew I mean that really is a discrepancy between those two that yeah five, basically five pounds and seven 35 pounds. weeks and seven pound twin uh-huh. like this boy loved being in the uterus, <laughs> yes. like he did so good. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. So this is my favorite part of the twin story that so many people don't know or understand. You did not hear Laura say, I delivered a baby and then I delivered a placenta and then I delivered a baby, right? She delivered a baby. Yeah. She delivered a baby. Now talk to me about delivering the placentas. So my whole, during all my ultrasounds, their placentas were very far apart. And they told me like, they are not fused. They are not going to fuse. Like they are two separate placentas. Um, Because I did get my placenta encapsulated and I had to ask like, what do you do about two separate placentas? Um, But then honestly, I don't remember delivering them. I feel like after he came out, I'm trying to even think if they like asked me the push. I really don't remember, but they had fused together. So it was one massive placenta that came out afterwards. That looks like a butterfly. Like when mm-hmm. you like, I don't know if your encapsulator took pictures, but when they fuse, yeah. they typically look like they just have two big elephant mm-hmm. ears or lobes yeah. or whatever. Cool. Well, maybe like I don't know, maybe ask your husband or something if he remembers the placenta delivery. But but most of the time they fuse. I've mm-hmm. never seen two separate placentas in my whole career. Yeah. I know that it's possible, but most of the time they fuse. And the mm-hmm. reason is to save your life, essentially. Once a placenta mm-hmm. peels away, it starts, your uterus starts bleeding. And mm-hmm. so in this case oh, they okay. fuse and it's mm-hmm. then they it peels away at the mm-hmm. same time then your uterus can contract to to stop the bleeding so when the placentas detached and came out you know mm-hmm. we expect the uterus to clamp down and to like mm-hmm. almost like if you're applying pressure on a wound to clamp down so that it reduces your bleeding but having twins, you're at a pretty high risk for hemorrhage. Mm -hmm. What was your bleeding like? So I actually didn't know that I hemorrhaged till afterwards. Um, They were really good about keeping it calm in there. They did like have to massage my belly over and over again. Uh, I wasn't really sure why, but they were just massaging my belly. My OB had to go in and like scoop me out because she wasn't sure if she got all the placenta. And I will say that was painful, but nothing compared to the pain in transition. So I was like, at least I'm not in transition anymore. So to me, that pain was manageable. And I was just so, I mean, having twins that that they didn't neither needed NICU time. They both were doing great. They like brought baby A over to me and I was like cuddling with her. So I didn't really know what was going on until we 
got out of the OR um, and got back to the room. Okay. And then I started feeling bad. Okay. I was going to say, because when you hemorrhage, <laughs> like typically you would have some symptoms, Laura. <laughs> like I had nothing in the OR. I don't know if yeah. my adrenaline just took over. And we were in the OR for over an hour after they were born before okay. we got back to the room. But yeah, once I got back to the room, I started feeling lightheaded and nauseous. And I threw up a few times. And but as soon as they got me some bags of blood, I felt much better. Okay. So you did have a blood transfusion. Yeah. Okay. That's good that they were able to work that quickly. The reason that they were pushing on your um, tummy, Laura, it's called a fundal massage. (laughs) It's actually, it's helping contract your uterus. Oh, contract it. Mm -hmm. So almost like if you like, you know, you're trying to get your muscle to contract or whatever, and you push on it, Mm -hmm. you can get it to contract um, and or stay contracted by applying pressure. So that's what the fundal massage was for. I'm sorry that you hemorrhaged. It's it is common. But like, Mm -hmm. what you saw, they had they probably gave you medicines like Cytotec, Methogen, there's I'm naming all different things that are possibilities. Mm -hmm. Um, TXA, Pitocin. I mean, there's a lot of Mm -hmm. different methods that they can do to prevent your bleeding from being worse than two bags of Mm -hmm. transfused blood back to you. Did you start to feel at least a little bit better after the transfusion? Yeah. Oh, so much better. Okay. Yeah. I was like, normally with IV fluids and blood leaving your body, Mm -hmm. I mean, IV fluids don't leave your body, but fluids and blood leaving your body, getting (laughs) IV fluids and blood can make you feel better right away. So, well, Laura, this was so incredible. It was such an honor to have you in Birth Story Academy and to be able to kind of be your virtual doula too and teach you Mm -hmm. along the way and be part of your story. And We've learned a lot uh, today about twin birth and cardiac conditions. Mm -hmm. But before we go, can you just leave the audience with like your best advice and products for any of those Mm -hmm. listening that are expecting twins? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. My biggest advice is to get them on the same schedule and keep them on the same schedule. So we changed their diapers at the same time. We fed them at the same time. We did everything at the same time. So even if one woke up crying and need to be fed, we woke up the other one and fed them. Um, so that helped so much. I, w- I I didn't feel like I was constantly feeding someone because they were both at the same time. Um, and I would like literally feed them at the same time. Or if I had help, someone would feed one and I would feed the other. Um, I used the Huckleberry app and that helped keep track of their feedings and diaper changes. And that helped me. I mean, feel like when you have one, it's probably hard to keep track of when you have to feed them, but especially with two. And we had to feed them every two hours, especially for my baby girl, Hadley. She was so small. The Huckleberry app is probably the number one most used app by my dual clients. It's pretty incredible. Yes. Were you breastfeeding and bottle feeding? Yeah. uh, Hadley did not breastfeed till maybe three or four months. She was so tiny and her latch was was not coming. Um, Sawyer did, but neither one ever transferred well with milk. So we formula fed, I pumped, we tried breastfeeding. Um, so we did that for about four months. So they got a mix of breast milk from what I pumped and formula. And then, yeah, we, they mostly breastfed for comfort in my opinion, because they were not transferring much. Well, that triple feeding is not for the yes. <laughs> faint 
you know, hearted over no. here. I was really good at checking in the whole time being like, I know I can stop whenever I want. I can change the, you know, we can change course whenever. And I just kind of took it day by day with what felt right. And triple feeding for four months felt right. And then I went back to work in the fall and it <laughs> did not feel right. Oh my, cause you're a teacher. I yeah. I was like, you're a teacher <laughs> yeah. who takes care of your um, babies. They go to an in-home daycare. Oh, wonderful. It's really hard so. to find in-home um, places where I live. So that's super yes. lucky. Yeah, a woman in my district watches a lot of the teachers' kids, so Aww. really lucky. Oh my gosh, I love it. What grade do you teach? Fifth grade. Oh, what a great grade. They're a little, like, just oh, getting I a little it. sassy. <laughs> you know, they're not quite mid- middle schoolers or, like, you know, top of the world, and they're just getting a little sassy. I love it. Yeah. Um, it's been so wonderful to have you here, Laura. I know that you wrote in and you said you had a favorite baby product, though, for twins. Yes. So what the are those favorite Z. baby products? <laughs> oh, yes. Twin Z pillow was I still use it today, but it's just a little pillow that has it's like two poppy pillows almost like connected. Okay. Um, but yeah, if I had a bottle feed two babies. I could just stick them both in the pillow and hold their bottles. And today they hold their own bottles, but I just stick them in that pillow to eat. And yeah, it's amazing. Oh, I love it. it and I'll link to it. Do you think you can get it on Amazon or? Yeah, okay. probably. I'm All sure. right. I'll just find a couple links and I'll put it in the show notes. If you're listening, you can just click and find it. So yes. Laura, thank you so much for being on the Birth Story podcast and sharing your thank story. You. My babies just turned one. Sawyer and Hadley just turned one a few days ago. So this was such a, you know, it's so fun to reflect on their birth a year ago. It is. I think it's important. <laughs> Every single year on my kids' birthdays, we watch their mm-hmm. birth videos. And Aww. they're seven and almost nine. So my oldest on April 27th, he'll be nine. And like, he's now like this year's the first year where he's like, gross, mom. I don't want to watch that. I'm like, oh, you'll come back to it when you're older. (laughs) So, well, thank you for being here and happy birthday to Sawyer and Hadley. Well, thank you. It was so fun. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like. 